kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. Welcome to Verse by Verse. I'm Clinton de France. Today we are beginning a new series of studies which, while somewhat different from the studies we've done throughout the show thus far, are supportive to our purpose and goal in this podcast. Our ultimate goal is to study together, verse by verse, through every book of the Bible. However, that kind of project will only be as successful in its final product as our preparation for it allows. Now, many people have read the whole Bible several times, at least they've managed to make eye contact with the pages, but they would testify that most of the material in the Bible is still mysterious and challenging to them. Our goal then is not simply to read, but to analytically study and learn what the Bible means and how the Bible applies to our lives in the best way we possibly can. So I think it is appropriate for me to share with you as the listeners my own philosophy of Bible study. Let me state at the outset that my philosophy has grown and developed significantly over the last three years since I began producing verse by verse. I knew at the start that I was a novice when it came to expository teaching and serious exegetical study. I had been trained in a homiletical tradition that emphasized topical preaching and proof texting. And while I had a basic appreciation for the value and role of context in utilizing the Bible, and I felt like I was pretty attentive to it, I lacked a sufficient understanding of any single book of the Bible to confidently affirm that I was, in fact, respecting the context of essentially any given scripture. You see, I had never studied through the whole Bible before. Now, that may sound overly modest or self-deprecating, and some people might say, well, that's true of so many Bible teachers. It doesn't mean that you, you know, weren't a valuable, important voice when you were younger. But I will say that the more I have studied and learned since that beginning period, the more I have felt that it was a fair judgment on my earliest work to say I wasn't ready to, to do what I tried to do then. In fact, this is one of the reasons I started the project. I knew that I wasn't ready, and I hoped that this weekly task would motivate me to do what was necessary to learn and grow and improve through the experience. For example, had I known then what I now know, I would not have started with the book of Acts, a book which, by the explicit testimony of the author, is the second volume in a series. I realize now it was careless of me to attempt to properly interpret Acts without having first completed an analytical study of the Gospel of Luke, so that I might better understand how the author, Luke, tended to focus on issues like the work of the Holy Spirit or eschatology, which have come up quite frequently in Acts, or what major themes and motifs from 
the gospel of Luke might be continued and even escalated in Acts. Also, I must admit that when I began this study, I felt pressured, for various reasons too complex to explain here, to defend and uphold certain positions at any cost. This caused me to sometimes explain away texts or to defend historic interpretations rather than simply seeking to understand them within the narrative flow of the book and on the author's own terms. Now, I think I've gotten better at that as time has moved ahead. I've been more willing to think and to speak outside the box, but early on, I feel like I was very much constrained. My understanding of other important issues, like the science of textual criticism and biblical translation, was also deficient in those days, and I now realize that some of the readings and translations I preferred were not the best. In the years following the launch of this project, I also became more familiar with an approach to Bible study, which I have now fully embraced as the best possible option of the many proffered throughout the history of Christian interpretation. This approach is the inductive Bible study method. That expression is widely used to describe several different practical methodologies for the analysis of Scripture, but they're all built around two central tenets. Number one, that the nature of the Bible and of ourselves as human interpreters calls for an inductive rather than a deductive approach to the text. Number two, that the inductive process consists of three steps which are basically to be taken in chronological sequence, observation, interpretation, and application. Well, first, let's consider the idea of inductive study or inductive reasoning. We're using the word inductive as opposed to deductive to describe an option for how we can think about information and reach a proper understanding of it. There are certain fields like logic and mathematics which explore closed systems and in which a, a, a thinker may deal with absolutes. In those fields, if you can establish an absolute premise, for example, the value of 2 and of 4, then you can reason from that premise or those premises to a conclusion, which is also absolute. For example, 2 plus 2 equals 4. However, the study of the Bible, like the study of history and literature, is not one of those fields. Rather, the study of the Bible involves the collection of evidence and the consideration of open options for the interpretation of that evidence. One might respond that if the Bible is God's word, then its message is true and its truth is absolute, as sure or more so than the value of two and four. But even if that is granted as I would be inclined to grant it, it does not change the nature of Bible study. In Bible study, we have more than merely the laying out of absolute truths by God. We have normal humans with many limitations, and that would include every one of us as modern Bible readers, trying to figure out what the Bible says and what the Bible means 
and how the Bible applies to our lives, if indeed it applies at all. In deduction, you reach a conclusion by solving an equation or by building a syllogism. In induction, you discover a possible answer by collecting and considering the evidence. Deductive reasoning is simply inappropriate for a Bible student. It assumes that the student is able to begin his or her consideration of the biblical text with infallible presuppositions which will guide the student to the absolutely certain answer. This is simply impossible when it comes to Bible study. You will have to work hard first to observe the text, that is to ask, what does the Bible say? This is an especially difficult task when we are talking about a collection of writings produced thousands of years before the invention of the printing press and originally composed in languages which most modern Bible students do not speak. Yet even once those hurdles are overcome, the Bible student is left with the monumental task of learning to read carefully and critically a skill that is by no means intuitive or natural to most people. And second, you will have to work hard to interpret the text once you've observed it. Now, many people misunderstand interpretation as merely referring to having an idea about something. But some ideas are better than others. When we're dealing with mathematics, the best idea about how to answer the question, what does 2 plus 2 equal, is the one based on the value of 2 and the concept of addition. However, when we are dealing with the Bible, the best answer to a given interpretive question is based on the interpreter's skill in considering evidence and making logical inferences based on a strong understanding of the context in which the evidence appears. So when we are interpreting the Bible, we're asking, what does the Bible mean? And the answer we come up with will be based on how accurate the witness to the Bible we observed was and how carefully we observed it and how skillfully we have interrogated it and synthesized the answers to our interrogations. Again, you will have to work hard to apply the text because you will not be able to venture a guess about how to apply it appropriately until you first understand what it means. The text cannot mean something to you that it did not mean to its original audience, though it may apply to your situation differently than it did to theirs. Yet applying the scripture is more than just claiming words that you find helpful to your situation when you contrive a certain meaning for them. It means understanding that the meaning of these words is part of a timeless, borderless communication from God to his people, which was always intended to shape and frame your thoughts and your actions if you are among that group. In deductive reasoning, presuppositions are key. The weight of your equations or syllogisms is based entirely on the validity of your presuppositions. However, in inductive reasoning, presuppositions must be expendable. Now, some writers, especially in the 19th century, naively suggested that a student should lay aside all presuppositions and just read the Bible as if no one read it before you. Now, this is neither possible 
nor desirable. Certainly not if we include all pre-understanding in the category of presupposition. Pre-understandings would include knowing how to read, which includes knowing what words mean, which sets one off into the task of interpretation as soon as he begins to read. Or furthermore, one encounters the Bible from a particular context of culture and life experience. If you are a wealthy, educated, white American, you cannot help but read the Bible from that perspective. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll read it in an altogether incorrect way. It's just a fact of life. You will be carrying to the Bible certain perspectives from who you are and how you've lived in this world. Similarly, if you are a poor, uneducated ethnic minority from a developing country, you cannot help but read the Bible or at least encounter it from that perspective. It will not do to try to evict your perspective. Rather, you should simply be aware of it. Keep in mind that who you are is impacting how you read or how you hear the words which the text of Scripture presents to you, and that may help or it may hinder you as a student. With this in mind, the inductive Bible student will seek to see and think and appropriate as he or she is able, but also be prepared to grow and live and learn. As you grow and live and learn, be prepared to see things later that you did not see before, not because they were not there and now you are inventing them, but because you were not in a position to see them. Remember how Zacchaeus had to climb the sycamore tree to see Jesus, not because Jesus wasn't there, but because Zacchaeus was a short man and he was being blocked by the others in the crowd. So you may have to go through certain changes in your position and circumstances in life in order to understand certain truths about the Bible. They were there all along, but they were blocked from your view. Furthermore, be prepared to discover that someone else was able to see something that you were not able to see. The inductive approach values a community of learning because multiple perspectives make for richer and fuller capacity to both collect and analyze evidence. Note also that when one is reasoning inductively, he or she will never reach an absolute conclusion. This was challenging for me. What made me a popular preacher when I was young was the power that came through in my words because I spoke with such confidence. I would often make a point and then challenge my audience to disprove it and even say something like, if you could show me otherwise, I would close my Bible and never preach again because that would mean a contradiction in the Scripture. That, of course, meant my conclusion was so obvious, so clear, so certain that if you prove the Bible teaches something else, the only solution could be that it's not really inspired. I would hear other people say, that's so obvious and so plain, it would take a scholar or a theologian to mess it up. Now, in reality, those are very destructive and foolish things to say. The arrogance and the effort to demonize anyone who would dare to have access to something that you have missed, 
makes for very poor Bible study and, frankly, for very poor preaching. It may not sound as powerful for a man to say, based on the evidence I have found, I would say that this interpretation is highly likely, but it will be much truer than making bold assertions that anyone who sees it differently is either stupid or dishonest. The inductive Bible student will work as hard as he can, lay out as carefully and well-supported a case as possible, and leave it to the judgment of honest men and women what they will do with it. Of course, if someone is not honest or not judicious, then good reasoning will not appeal to them. But we do not need to be concerned about that. Good Bible study is born out of an honest, truth-seeking, humble heart. The conclusions it produces will appeal to just such a person and to a community of such persons, even if they find reason to reject those conclusions as inadequate or flawed. The sectarian spirit, on the other hand, will reject inductive study. It is built, you see, on dogmatic presuppositions. There will always be walls beyond which the student is forbidden to pass lest he or she be cast out of the group. But such is not the case with the kingdom of God. Faithfulness is the relentless pursuit of God's will, to know it and to do it. And the inductive method drives and is driven by relentlessness. It is self-correcting rather than self-fulfilling. It is humble and submissive, but not lacking in conviction. And when conclusions are reached, the thinker knows how he or she reached them and may feel confident in the process, which makes the conviction that much stronger. I hope then that you will continue to journey with us through the practical, philosophical, and methodological principles of inductive Bible study as we continue this series in the future.